I want to begin this morning in 1 Corinthians 15. This is verses 14 to 19, but I've abbreviated it a little bit uh, for us, so it's not the entire passage, but 1 Corinthians 15, 14 to 19. If Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. If Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, then we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. That's quite a statement. If Jesus Christ is not currently alive and in heaven, then this is all an utter waste of time. And we are idiots. We are absolute fools and we are completely wasting our time if Jesus is not literally, physically alive right now. Just yesterday, an author uh, that I, I check in with frequently, his name's John Zmirak, he, read, he wrote this. Take Easter away and the atheist existentialist is right. Life is absurd. It's not even a tragedy, it's a farce. And a snuff farce at that since the whole cast dies at the end. If we lose Easter, the hedonists are right. Pleasure is all that matters, and it won't last for very long. So babies that are likely to suffer might as well be killed. They're just going to where we're all headed, nowhere, and fast. If we skip Easter, then the revolutionaries are right. The injustices of this world are unredeemed and unredeemable, so you might as well spend your life raging against the machine. So slip on that Shea t-shirt and stick it to the man, or join the alt-right and fight for your race, whatever floats your boat. For the Christian, the resurrection is everything, or there's nothing at all. So I want to ask the question, is that correct? Paul says it, and John Zmirak says it, is, is it correct? Is it actually a fact that Christianity stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus? I've heard that it's actually his death that pays for my sins. And there's lots of good teachings that he gave us about how to live life. Uh, Is there any value in any of that? Um, There are actually, this morning, thousands, perhaps millions, of so-called Christians in the Western world, in Europe and America and so on, who do not believe in the literal, physical, natural body resurrection of Jesus. There are millions of people in church this morning that do not believe the story. They don't believe it, but they're in church anyway. Aren't they Christians? Aren't they good people? Most seminary professors, many clergy, many members of mainline churches do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus as the Bible describes. One pastor here in Legrand told me that in Bible college back in the 60s, his professor told him that there is no actual physical resurrection. It's just the meaning of the myth that matters. And these are the people who are training our, our pastors and priests and clergy. So it's true. There, there are millions of Christians people who call themselves Christians, in church, in America, and Europe this morning, 
who don't believe Jesus actually physically, medically, naturally, bodily raised from the dead. It's just a story that the disciples made up. But it matters and it's important because it teaches us how to be good people. teaches us how to live. Uh, It's faith that matters, not the facts. So my question this morning is, am I required to have faith in the resurrection? Wouldn't it just be enough to believe that he died for me um, and that his death pays for my sins? Can't I just follow his teachings on morality and obedience to God? Isn't it really just the most important thing to be a good person and follow Jesus' teachings? So I want to address those two things. Is Christianity, ultimately asking the question, does Christianity, like Paul says, is it the resurrection or nothing? Is that actually true? But addressing these two objections to that first is, well, Christianity is about being a good person and obeying God's commands. And, and it's really Jesus' death that is the most important thing because that's, that's what washes our sins away. That's what paid our penalty. And so, let's talk about that. Number one, if you think Christianity is about being a good person, I'm here to tell you God is not impressed with your goodness. And most of our goodness is actually sin. Most of the good things we do and the bad things we don't do are sin. I'll I'll convince you here in a moment. God is not impressed with our goodness. I've used this example before, but here we go. When my son was three years old, two and three years old, we have a wood stove in our house. We had to teach all of our kids, but I'm going to use Will as my example. We had to teach all of our kids what hot meant. Hot, don't touch the wood stove because it's down low where they can stand up on the bricks and, and burn themselves. So we have to teach them, hot, don't touch. So our strategy was to light a fire in it, and before it got so hot to burn skin, we would say hot, and then we would put their hand on it so that it would hurt but not burn them, just enough to scare them of it so that they wouldn't touch it ever. It was hot, and then, they, he, you know, of course, you tell a kid not to touch, and that's exactly what they're going to go do. So we'd do that, you know, when there's no danger, but there would be shock or a little bit of pain involved, and so on. So we teach them, hot, hot, don't touch. And when he's three years old, and he says, and he goes over to the stove and says, hot, don't touch. Like, Good boy, that's great. But now he's 15. If he stands in our living room saying, Hot, Dad. Look, I'm not touching the wood stove, Dad. Hot. Aren't you impressed, Dad? No, son, you're freaking me out. I'm not impressed that you're not touching touching the wood stove. You're 15 years old. You're just smart. God is not impressed that you are not a heroin addict. That doesn't make you a good person. It makes you smart. You're not not robbing banks because you're such a good person. You just don't want to go to jail. But if you had an opportunity to get that money in a way that you would never be caught or never pay any price for, even socially with your reputation, you would take the money. God is not impressed with your goodness because your goodness is just intelligence. 
you want God to think and you want other people to think you're a good person because you're not doing these bad things. And it's just that you have a brain. You know that if you're in bed with a different person every night, it's going to ruin your life. You're going to have more diseases than you can count. You're going to have a trail of broken hearts and abuse and pain. And So he's not impressed that you're not doing that. Because common sense tells you don't do that. So our attempts to be good and thinking that God is going to like that is kind of like Will standing in front of the wood stove saying, Hey, Dad, I'm not touching the stove. <laughs> you, should, you should give me a prize. Like, Come on, God, reward me. I didn't do anything bad today. You avoid crime and sin not because it doesn't tempt you, but because you don't want your mugshot in the jail roster online. <laughs> Guys, you have not been faithful to your wife because you're a godly man. It's just that you're too poor and fat and ugly that no woman has seriously offered to have an affair with you. you Seriously. You don't know. I don't know what you would really do if a woman threw herself at you. And your wife would never find out. You cannot judge. Because you don't know. I hope, maybe a couple of you do. I, I don't know. I hope not. God is not impressed. Because you're doing what you're doing to preserve your marriage and your family and your life and your reputation. You don't know whether you're a good person or not until you have an opportunity to sin without getting caught. And when you think you won't get caught is usually when we do sin. So being good for the sake of our reputation or to preserve whatever we have, our reputation or our job or our standing in the church or whatever, that's actually selfishness, which is pride, which is the worst sin of all. It is literally impossible to be good. In the same way that 2 plus 2 cannot equal 5, in the same way that April the giraffe cannot give birth to Dumbo the elephant, it is, it is rationally and reasonably impossible to be good because the moment you want to be good, you cease to be good. That's what the Pharisees wanted. They wanted to be perfect. They wanted to do it all right. They wanted God's approval. And that, that's all for selfish reasons, which then is your primary sin. Not only will you fail miserably at actually succeeding in being good, but the desire to be good is selfishness. On the screen, Romans 3.12 says, all have turned away. Together, everyone has become useless. There is no one who does anything good. There is not even one. Compared to God, there is nothing good or pure or righteous that we do. C.S. Lewis has a quote that I'll put on the screen for you from his book, Mere Christianity. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse... He understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he is all right. Hello. This is common sense, really. You understand sleep when you are awake, not while you are sleeping. His comparison is the only way to know how bad we are is to try to be good. 
when you're trying to be good, you will find out how bad you are. Just like when you, you can't understand sleep when you are awake. Or you do understand sleep only when you're awake. You can't see mistakes in arithmetic while you are making them. Only after you go back and check your work. You can understand the nature of drunkenness when you are sober, but not when you are drunk. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. Another quote of his is, No one knows how thoroughly bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Blaise Pascal, who's the famous scientist, but he's actually a follower of Christ and a great man of God, he says the same thing in one sentence. There are only two types of people in this world, the righteous who think they are evil and the evil who think they are righteous. Memorize that quote and live by it. Anytime you think you're a good person, you have become evil. When you think there is no way God can love me, I have really screwed up. You're on solid ground. That is righteousness. It is impossible to be good. It is a sin to try. Galatians 2.21 says, If obeying God's law could make us right with him, then Christ's death would be useless. If we could earn our own salvation, if we can earn God's approval, we don't need Jesus' death. The so-called Christians who think that being a good person is what counts have completely missed the point of the entire Bible. And they are blind Pharisees. Goodness is a really deceptive counterfeit of what God actually demands, which is obedience. That's what God wants. Not to impress Him with our goodness, but to obey Him in love. The person who is trying to be good... And the person who is obeying God will do mostly the same things, but for a completely different reason. And what motivates and what the person cares about is completely different. God wants relationship and love and obedience. And the Pharisee wants a good reputation. I want to be a good person. I want people to like me. I want to like me. And Paul says, it doesn't matter if I think I'm a good person, only Jesus is my judge. He said, even if I can't think of anything that would condemn me, that does not prove I am innocent. All God is looking for is obedience and relationship. And the obedient person will do a lot of the same things that the person who's trying to be perfect will do. But not out of trying to be perfect. It's out of love for my father. So, number one, Christianity is not about being a good person. It is not about morality. The person who follows Jesus will be moral and will do good things and will avoid sin at all costs. But Paul preached this so emphatically that he had to go back and correct himself to the Corinthian church because they thought he actually meant we should go sin. It's so wrong to try to be a good person, the Corinthians like, oh, well, okay, we should just go sin and get more of the grace of God. Paul's like, no, calm down, settle down, chill out, everybody. I did not mean go sin wildly and do whatever you want and God will love you. But he preached the failure of being good so strongly that they mistook it that badly. Hello? He had to go back and correct them. No, I did not mean you're free to just go sin wildly. But this is how strongly he preached. Stop 
trying to be a good person. Know Jesus and obey him. Since it is impossible to be good, since we are all hopeless sinners, we need a Savior. This takes us to the second point I want to talk about this morning is Paul says the resurrection is the most important point of our faith. But a real question to answer is, I thought it was the cross. I thought Jesus' death was the most important part. Because that's what washes our sins away. That's what purifies us. And so we come to this desperate need that we have for a Savior. And it is completely true that we are completely helpless and hopeless to be righteous on our own. We need someone to pay the price for our sin. And Jesus did that when he died. He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. He became sin even though he had never sinned. And he was killed on our behalf. He took our sorrows, our sickness, our weakness, our anxieties, our fears, and our guilt to the cross. And God killed it. All of it. He received the wrath of God that we deserved that he did not deserve. He took it all. So the cross is of utmost importance. It is indispensable. Jesus' death, if Jesus hadn't died for us, we're hopeless because that's what we deserve. If Jesus didn't take God's punishment for us, we are bound for hell. We have no hope. His blood is what washes us clean. But a Savior that only died is not enough. Paul didn't say in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ didn't die for us, we're hopeless. He said if Christ didn't rise, we're hopeless. If Jesus only died, if he had only died on the cross then our sins are gone. And again, I'm referencing these millions of Christians in church this morning that, that believe he's a historical man and that he died on the cross. That's a historical fact. And that spiritually, metaphorically, maybe that applies to my sins or something. But they don't believe in the resurrection. I'm saying a Savior who only dies for us, our sins are gone, but so what? I'm standing on 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, if Jesus is not alive... We are to be pitied more than any group of people in world history. We are utter fools. Well, if Jesus died, our sins are gone. Yeah, but if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, so what? What eternal good does that do for us if there is no eternity? Jesus' resurrection proves that there is something on the other side of death. There is a spiritual world. There is eternity. There is life after death. There is hope. This physical body, this natural world, is not all there is. His resurrection proves this. Because his body was in the ground for three days. But the real Jesus, his soul, his spirit, was somewhere else and came back into his body and was fully, naturally, medically, physically alive again. 
if Jesus did not literally, physically, bodily, naturally come back to life after three days of being dead, then there is no hope. There is no other faith. There is no other event. There is no other truth. There is no other foundation. There is no other story. There is no other gospel. There is no other promise. There is no other evidence in the entire world of anything beyond this right here. There's no eternity, there's no supernatural, there's no heaven, there's no hope. But since Jesus did come back after three days, there is hope, there is proof, there is a foundation. It is a reasonable reason for our faith. There is a day on the calendar, there is an event, there is a man who gives us eternity. We're not only saved from our sins, but into heaven into God, into holiness, into eternal life on the other side. And that is the hinge of history. That's the crux of Christianity. That's why Paul can say, if Jesus is not alive, we're fools. Absolutely, his death is indispensable. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. His blood is the most valuable substance in the universe. But death can't be the end of the story. Or so what? Death is not the end of the story. The resurrection is the crux of Christianity. If he is not alive, we are fools wasting our time trying to be good for no reason. But since he is alive, we have the most powerful story ever told. Romans 6, 3-11. When we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Yeah. Ha! Since Jesus cheated death, since he defeated death, then obviously death has no power over him. So the Christian faith is not that we be good people, and it's not even only that he died for us, but that he defeated death for us. That those of us who belong to him cannot be touched by death. This is the gospel, that Jesus Christ is alive. Right now, today, this morning, he is alive and well. He is literally present in a real place that we call heaven. He is actually king of heaven and earth, and he is literally and physically returning to this earth to reign in righteousness and justice for eternity. That's the gospel. That's our faith. John 20, 30 to 31, at the end of the story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, John says this, Truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John and God say 
There's more to Jesus than what's in this book. But you don't need to know more. This is enough. This is enough that you may believe. The stories that are in here, the words that are in here, are powerful enough to bring you eternal life. Yes, there's questions and paradoxes about Jesus that we would, we would like to understand and know. God says there is more, but this is enough. This right here, you must make a decision. This is enough proof. 500 witnesses, 2,000 years of history, billions of believers, billions of changed lives, billions of miracles. I'm not exaggerating. It's truly, mathematically, billions of miracles and changed lives and salvations and baptisms. People who have read this and said, yes, I believe. This is enough to prove that Jesus is alive. In Romans 4, 1, 4 and 5, it says, He was shown to be the Son of God when He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and the authority as apostles to tell unbelievers everywhere what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey Him, bringing glory to His name. I'm here to tell you this morning, He's alive. And I want you to know Him. I'm here to tell you this morning that that proves He is the Son of God. I'm here to tell you this morning that if He is the Son of God and He is alive, then everything else He said matters. And he said, I am the only way. How is he the only way? Because he's the only one who's been through death and come back. And says, hey, I mapped it out for you. I'm going to write it down so you can have the map. Follow me. So if you have not said yes to Jesus, or if maybe you've said yes, but you haven't actually been following him. That's... That doesn't mean you follow him on Twitter. It means where he walked, you walk. Where he says, put your foot here, you put your foot there. Because we've got a pretty perilous journey here. Through this life and through whatever it is that's between us and that spirit world that we call heaven, we're all going to go through that someday. And it is kind of a dark place and scary and unknown. We don't know. We've never been there. But we can have absolute peace and utter assurance that he has been there. He has defeated death and hell. And if you are in him, those things cannot touch you. If you're somebody who says, no thanks, I'm not sure I believe, you can take your chances with your own death. I'm following the guy that's been there before and come back and said, I know the way. I've got the key to the gate. I can let you in. In fact, he said, not only do I have the key to the gate, I am the door. Come in through me. So if you need to say yes to him this morning, I would love to talk with you, pray with you. I got to lead a, a guide to the Lord in prayer just this, this week. It was so much fun. It's not complicated. It's not scary. It's not anything formal and religious and spooky. It's just real life. It's like, Jesus, save me. I need saved. And he, and he needs saved. <laughs> And he needs, he's got some big things he needs saved from. And Jesus is going to do it.
I would love to pray with you right now. Uh, we got a whole group of people who are ready and willing. We would be honored to pray with you. If you haven't said yes, or maybe you said yes, but you haven't actually been doing it, get right with Jesus. Come into obedience, not just trying to be good. Come into not just his death, but his life. Salvation is not just I'm saved from my sins and there will be life someday in heaven after I die. I know there's life right now. There's resurrection life, the Holy Spirit of God right now. We would be honored to pray with you if you'd bow your heads. Jesus, we love you. We love your word. We love your story. We love everything about you. Thank you. Thank you for revealing yourself to us this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you do not require us to be perfect. You're not a a father on high who cannot condescend to meet your failing children, but that you are rich in mercy and love and grace, but that you don't want leave us in our sin. You don't leave us in our falling and failing and brokenness, but that you heal us and you teach us how to do it right. And you're going to walk with us as we stumble forward. Thank you that you didn't just die for us. You didn't just come to point out our sin and then to wash us off and make us clean. But that's the end. Death is not the end of the story. You are alive. You are present. You are king. And we give our lives to you this morning. We thank you for your victory over death. We celebrate your kingship. We bow our knee before the lion and the lamb. We say yes, yes, yes. Amen. Hallelujah. Hosanna. Yes, Jesus, we love you, we are for you, we are with you, we receive you. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your torn up body and your poured out blood. Thank you for your victory over death. That we may have an eternal hope, an assurance, complete rock solid assurance that you are alive. And that we can be alive. That there is a hereafter. That there is an eternity. There is a spirit world. There is a heaven. That you have shown us the way. That you have opened the way. And you receive us. We glorify your name, Lord. We thank you for everything we remember and celebrate today. I bless every person here. In Jesus' name, with grace and peace. Lord, if there's anyone who needs to come to you, I pray conviction and guidance over them. For anyone who is afraid or unsure, I speak faith and peace into their heart. For those that dance and celebrate and rejoice, I say amen.